Thanks for joining us on our C3 Edinburgh podcast. We really hope this message inspires and encourages you in your life with Jesus. To find out more about our welcoming and vibrant church community, please check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Keep in touch and be part of the story. Now enough from me, you've come to hear the podcast and be blessed. Who's loving, who's loving the In Him series? Miles is. The rest of you, it's average, but Miles is loving it, and that's a thing. That's, that's great. I want to tell you something about when you read the Bible. Can I start that way? Let me tell you something about when you read the Bible. Um, whenever you see some, whenever you see the word, that the, whenever you read that the people were amazed, what you should do immediately whenever you read something like that is stop for a minute and reflect because the people were amazed for a reason. And sometimes when you read the Bible a couple of times or you've read that thing before, you flick over things. Oh, yeah, of course I'm amazed. God's good and stuff. But if you stop, just reflect. If the people were amazed, something big just happened that amazed them. That's not breakthrough, but, but watch this. For example, in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, and you can turn there now, or you can see it on the screen because it will come up behind me. This is one of these moments. Uh, And to put it into a bit of context for you, because I'm not going to read the whole passage before that, this is just after Jesus' big famous message. Do you remember one of his big famous messages in the Gospels is the famous one that we call the Sermon on the Mount? And he says all of these uh, incredible things up on this mountain one time. When he, when he had finished saying these things, says verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. As soon as I read amazed, I go, wait, stop. There's something unique. There's something happening here that caused these people to be amazed. What is it about the message and the way that Jesus was doing, what Jesus was doing that was amazing to a couple of thousand people? It says, They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Let me pray one more time. We've been praying a lot, but let me pray again. Father God, in this message, Father God, as we open up your scriptures, may we be amazed. May we be in awe and come and speak because we're listening in Jesus' name. Amen. The people were amazed. People were amazed because he taught with authority, not as the other religious leaders at the time. So we can extrapolate that the other teachers at the time didn't express the same kind of authority when they taught. In fact, the way it actually went often was, was if you were a rabbi or, or went through the, rabbin, um, the system at the time as a religious leader or, or, or a teacher of the law, uh, you'd... you'd as a young man, because unfortunately at those days women weren't allowed, but young men would go into the school and they'd get selected by a rabbi and they'd follow all the way till they were 30 years old. They'd follow the teachings and they'd memorize the teachings and they'd, they'd, they'd memorize the teachings of um, their rabbi. And then when they became the adult, they'd go up and they might be their own rabbi, but they'd always come from the school of thought from the rabbi of which they'd initially followed. Are you with me? And so they'd always reference. So, so, so the people were used to a lot of this person said this, and this person said this, this person said this, and this person said this, and this person said this. What they were less used to was this 
uh, relatively unrabbinically trained uh, uh, teacher, and he spoke completely differently. And he spoke so differently, the people were amazed. See, Jesus, he spoke differently. The point of difference was that as he spoke, it was as though he understood the meaning of life. It's like he understood how life worked. He, it's like he understood what God was thinking. It's like he understood behind the scenes. It's as if he was there at the beginning, because he was. People ask me, I get it, I maybe you get it too. People ask me as a, as, a, as a person who follows Jesus in the 21st century, I get questions like, why would you follow the, the sayings and the teachings of a Middle Eastern person in the first century AD way back then, and what connection could that possibly have to today? And my answer is probably plentiful. But one of the key ones is this. It's that, it's that everybody follows the advice of other people. Everybody follows the teachings of other people. Uh, we, most of the stuff that we take for granted in science, we take ultimately for granted because we rely on the authority of someone who went before us and went there and discovered the thing. I think Vikings were in the United Kingdom hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I wasn't there, nor was the archaeologist who found any relics, but I take it on their authority. But no one has ever spoken with the authority of Jesus. No one has ever spoke life like Jesus spoke life. People have all kinds of great ideas, but only Jesus has the authority. He, he has seen from the beginning and all the way through. So, so why do I follow the words and the, and the, and of, of Jesus? It's because 2,020 years later, he still has the authority of life in his words. I'm still amazed. We are still amazed. He spoke with authority. And that's interesting because and, and, uh, he was amazed. And, and so I'm thinking, let's talk about other times when people were amazed. And I didn't have to read much further because just after he gets down this mountain, you know, he taught these people, he gets off this mountain and the people said, we're amazed. Or something. He, he goes, he's, he's in a mountain just outside uh, Capernaum. He comes into Capernaum, which is a, the town he was sort of staying around. As he goes in there, this incredible thing happens and it's only the next chapter. Can I share it with you? So good. Um, um, this just happened um, in Matthew 8, just the next chapter. When he got off the mountain and he da-da-da, when he got into Capernaum, a centurion came to him. And he asked him, Lord, he said, my servant lives at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, well, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Hold on. He was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Okay, remember? You, I hope you do. It was only three minutes ago. Remember how I suggested that when you hear that someone's amazed, you should stop and reflect. What was made that so amazing? Whenever Jesus is amazed, it goes double. Jesus was amazed at something. This is, 
If you can amaze God, you've done really well. Jesus was amazed. I want to know why. So it's the centurion, by the way. Um, seen, I don't know, movies set in Rome, Roman Empire stuff. The centurion is, is a Roman soldier. Um, centurion, where we get century from, a hundred. So he looks over after, you know, a hundred others. He's, he's, he's a leader. He's a centurion. Um, and, and to put it into a broad perspective for the time, for those who um, I, I like to think about these things, um, the Romans weren't welcomed into the Middle East, into Jerusalem, into Israel at the time. They didn't ask them to come in. It wasn't a nice little democracy moment. It was an oppressive force, an oppressive regime in there. So the politics is really tricky. Uh, riots and, and, and not, there's not good blood. And the centurions had to be there. Soldiers, soldiers by career, they had to be there to keep the peace by any means necessary. They stood back, they had different gods. This is a polytheistic um, uh, uh, Roman guy, um, completely disconnected from the community and society, except that he had to keep the peace. So I'm imagining him sitting on a horse. Doesn't say he's on a horse, but I'm just, let me go. Uh, sitting on a horse, I imagine him, he's a centurion, a man of authority. He has soldiers around him to protect him as he keeps the peace. And it's only a chapter before. Are you keeping up with me? I know I'm speaking fast. I can imagine him um, over here on his horse with the soldiers around and the mountain and, and the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, that famous one is over there. And people are flocking around Jesus. They are, and, and he's yelling out and they're having this amazing thing. And the centurion is disconnected uh, geographically because he's way over here. He, it, it, culturally, because he's not a part of the religion, he's not a part of any of this. But he's just watching and he's noticing something. And he's noticing something that he's about to say to Jesus as they get into Capernaum that's about to floor him. Because he too is seeing that this man speaks with authority like he knows something. Never heard anybody speak that way. Oh, I thought this might be interesting to you. Just to put into perspective the Roman influence uh, in the Israel at that very moment, because it comes out in Scripture and we brush over it. For example, you know, just on that mountain, and the centurion over there would have heard Jesus say this. He said, um, the famous word, he said, um, if somebody asks you, compels you to go one mile with them, go with them a second mile. And, and in my head, I always thought, oh, well, that's nice. Hey, do you want to go for a walk? Yeah, I'll walk for a mile. You know what? Don't worry about it. I'll go too. But actually, I missed that culturally. I, I didn't understand. What, what it's actually is, as a Roman citizen, a centurion, they could say to uh, the non-Roman citizen, the, the oppressed at that time, mate, here's my bag. I don't want to carry it. Come with me. And, and you were obligated to go with him for a mile. And then you can say, mate, I've done my mile. And what Jesus is saying, you know when you don't want to do that thing, you have no intention and you feel really oppressed by that, and they've just made you do the bare minimum that they're allowed to do? In that moment, go an extra one. Anyway, that paints a picture of what the centurion and the relationship with, with the people and the people with the centurion. And with that picture in your head, can I reread that passage? When Jesus had entered Capernaum, uh, the centurion, a centurion came to him and he asked, asking for help, Lord, now stop. We brushed over that first time, but let's stop. In the power differential we just explored, the centurion wouldn't call 
this guy Lord. This is a guy with great authority. This is a guy with technically none in human Roman speak. Lord. Understand in your head how when he said that in a crowd, the people would have gone, what the? In fact, the centurion, the guys around the horse would have gone, he's just... He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus said, shall I come to heal him? Which, by the way, is another moment that you could unpack because this is a Roman, this is a Gentile. Jesus later said he was here for the Jewish uh, people of Israel, but he was going to stop everything to do it anyway. He had no reason, but he was going to. The centurion replied, Lord, again, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. The centurion at this moment knows he's outranked. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Okay, you know how I just said just say the word? If you don't mind marking your Bible, can you highlight that bit? Just say the word. Or if you don't, and because you've got a device in front of you, uh, remember those words somehow. Remember, just say the word, because I'm going to come back to that. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. I tell this one come, and he comes. I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed at what the centurion had effectively observed that was true of Jesus that the rest of Israel had not yet seen. And I love that too because the centurion's a career military man. So isn't it interesting how you can see some of the great things about God through your own context and journey? This has nothing to do with the message, it's just what emerges for me. Maybe nobody else saw it because nobody else was used to seeing rank and file like that, but this centurion from over here could see all of this and go, that guy, now that guy is of high rank. That guy has authority. The centurion had seen This is what amazed Jesus, that the centurion had seen what no one had yet seen. Even his disciples had not yet seen, and he saw it in a moment. Okay, let me pause for a second. Think on this for yourself, or write it down in your notes. What's resonating with you at the moment in this message when you apply it to your own life? What's resonating with you? Because what use is the word unless we think on it? What use is the word unless we meditate on it? What use is the word unless we apply it? The authority of Jesus, the authority in the way he walked, the authority in the way he spoke. It amazed people. I don't want to talk to you about authority. I want to do some work now. I want to do some work because I need to show you something about you now. And I need to show you something about you and I. I need to show you something about you and I and authority. Are you ready? Bunch of scripture. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So this is way back at the beginning now. I'm throwing us way, way, way back. But Jesus was there. It said, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase with number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In the beginning, God made humanity in his own image and here's what he did. He delegated authority to mankind. 
man and woman, he delegated authority. So go and rule with authority. It's, it's, it, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have it by virtue of it alone. I delegate that authority to you. I am the one of all authority, says God, and I give you this authority to rule over the world. Through our special standing with God, we carried authority in all that we did. The trouble is this, and this is the beginning of the gospel, by the way. Through, our, we, through the fall of humanity, through our own decisions, through saying, God, thank you, I've got this, we lost that delegated authority we, in that connection that we lost with him. When he sent us away from the Garden of Eden, he, he said, well, now you're going to have to battle and toil in a now broken world in tumultuous spiritual atmospheres. That's... In fact, let me throw this out there, by the way. Often the big questions are around why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen at all? And that's a very complex question that you could, we could dig in for, for weeks. But ultimately, uh, much of the time, it, it, it's not about the, the nature of humanity being nat- by nature good or by nature bad as much as I believe. It's about being by nature broken in a by nature broken world until Jesus. God's rescue plan came in Christ. That through the cross... That special standing and that delegated authority becomes restored. Jesus went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf. He died for your sin. He died for your shame. He died for that brokenness that you would be healed and set, forgiven and set free. Is this good news? I don't want to leave you behind. This is good news. He did this for you. And, and, and one thing that we often leave, we leave feeling forgiven. We leave feeling clean. We leave feeling alive again because Jesus has done all of these things. But as he died for you on the cross and he rose again, also this delegated authority through your, nature, through your relationship with God becomes restored. From a broken... And, and that's the kingdom of God, isn't it? That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, in the, and, and we communicate it as a church. This is the church The kingdom of God is that through the cross, through what Jesus has done, our special standing with God is restored. And from the inside out, the broken world is transformed. From one life to one family, to one family to an entire street, from an entire street to an area of Edinburgh, from the area of Edinburgh to the whole Edinburgh influenced. In Jesus' name. You still with me? Because let me give you a backtrack. We've just talked about the authority of Jesus, and then I've talked about how this authority interacts with the gospel. But now, in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to take these two ideas and, and land it right into your world. And it will become uncomfortable for some. <laughs> but that's okay. Because God is talking to you this morning about the authority that he's given you. What authority? Matthew 10 verse 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them authority to do that. Mark 16, 15 to 20, he said to them, this is before he goes to heaven, he said, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison, and it won't hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they'll get well. And after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up to heaven, and he sat on the right hand of God. 
And the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. If you wanted a title to the message, the title is, In Christ You Have Authority. If you wanted a crux, a single sentence to sum up the entire message, it's this. Jesus Christ has all authority on heaven and on earth. And in Christ, he has delegated authority to you. People were amazed when Jesus spoke. Because he spoke as if he knew God personally. And now so do you. In Jesus' name. The centurion understood that Jesus had a command over the spiritual atmosphere, over powers and principalities, and through a simple spoken declaration, things would shift. And now, so do you. John 14, 12 to 14 says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything in my name, and I will do it. Let me show you something. I need you to pretend this is City Bypass. This is the road. It's, 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 it's that these roads are this skinny in Edinburgh sometimes. And, and, I, and imagine the cars shooting this way past me. If a car was shooting and I uh, jumped out in front and said, stop, uh, that could be a bad idea. Agree? Could be a bad idea. Who am I? Some guy. Stop. No. You know. Now imagine I have a policeman's uniform on. Now imagine I stand out and I say, stop. You'd be crazy to keep going. because Not because I've, I'm, I'm inherently now bulletproof. Not, not because I'm inherently anything more than I was, except I've got this authority that you need to stop. I've got a badge that you need to stop. I've got an entire police force, I've got an army, I've got, the, I've got the community backing me because I have the authority to stop what you're doing by raising my hand. You and I need to understand that when we raise our hands in prayer, when we raise our hands and we tell the devil to stop, he is silenced. When we tell the lie, it has no more power in Jesus' name. It cannot but respond. Not because of you, oh my gosh. <laughs> but because you are in Christ. Because you are in Christ. Authority. That's what Jesus, that's what the centurion saw in Jesus. Authority is what the people saw in Jesus. Authority is exactly what the Bible says Jesus gave to you over the spiritual atmospheres of your life. That's what you need to know this morning. That's what I need to know this morning. 
Sometimes we go, thank you, Jesus, I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, I'm clean. Thank you, Jesus, I'm, I, 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 it's good. But let's never be the Christians, let's never be the people who forget, thank you, Jesus, you have bestowed authority onto me. The victim mentality is not compatible with the life that Jesus has planned for you. Let me pause there. Because my question to you right now, whether you're on Slido or whether you're taking notes or whether you're putting all on your head, is my prayer is that something's going to stick because your life was built to have authority. Please don't leave a place, don't leave the house of God and leave your authority behind. Because there are people here this morning who have, you, you, if you're being honest, have lived your whole life unaware that Jesus has given you this. And so when you think about your life um, through the lens that you're seeing it, all you feel is that you've been a punching bag for the enemy uh, in every storm of your life. You feel like every circumstance, every storm, you just have to live with. You, you, just, you just carry through. You survive. My friend, maybe you haven't realized you've got a badge of authority on your person that has a greater amount of influence than you think. Or maybe there are people sitting here who you know this theologically, right? You know this because you've been a Christian for a while and you've read all about this stuff and you cheer when, when, when people do it, when, when people talk about it. And yet, if you were going to let someone into your prayer life, if I was to hear your prayers, I'd, I wouldn't see that. You, you, you're praying, for example, out of a place of victimness rather than conquerorness. It's a word. People have asked me, Nathan, can you do some teaching on spiritual warfare? Angels and demons and all of the things. And, 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 and I've got to be honest with you. If I wrote a book on it, it would be three pages. And the first page would be, thank you, Lisa. Um, and the last page would be some references, maybe. So, th- here's what I know about spiritual warfare. I don't give a lot of um, playtime to the devil. Uh, he doesn't need it. He's conquered, and Jesus reigns. Um, I, I, I don't have it. But I've had my fair share of moments, um, not one for ages, actually, but, but I, I went through a stage especially in the journey to plant this church and, and afterwards, and you know you're going to deal with stuff. And, and the Bible says we don't, you know, we don't, it's not flesh and blood, but it's powers and principalities. So we're naive if we think it's all cerebral and it's all psychological. We live in a spiritual atmosphere. So can we agree on that? So, so I, uh, I'd wake up sometimes with this, oh, this gnawing, almost agonizing fear. And I don't get that fearful. I, if I, you know, I don't even, maybe I do, but I'm, 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 a, I'm a not very self-aware. Maybe I just, I'm hungry. I don't know. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I dealing with spiritual warfare? I don't know. But like, um, I'll wake up in the morning and, and at 3 a.m. and I've had these times where I've just been in agonizing fear, like paralyzed. And these horrible thoughts of, it's not going to work. Never going to make it. Who told you? But can I tell you, by the way, that spiritual warfare 101, if, if God is perfect love and perfect love drives out fear... Fear is the number one sign, you know, the enemy is trying to do something. Secondly, he is the accuser. Nothing sounds like 
an accusation like, who told you? Because you go back to the, the serpent at the beginning. Did God really tell you? Deception? I tell you, when, when I experience depths of fear, when I experience those kinds of things, not fear, not proper fear, I'm at the edge of the cliff, uh, that's just the devil. No, but like, you know, um, but, like, but like, you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Existential, what is going on here? This is not right fear. And this is what I do. I only know one thing. This is my one-page book about spiritual warfare and living victoriously. I have authority in Jesus' name. It's all I got. And so this is what I do. I get out of bed quietly as to not wake Lisa, and I go out into my lounge, and I close the doors as to not wake the kids. And then I turn on some worship, quiet enough so I don't wake the neighbours, and then I pace, and I pray, and I worship, and, 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 and declare, pray, not Jesus help me, but Jesus has conquered. In Jesus' name. And I will pray until the thing goes. And I stand here before you to tell you honestly that I've, it's never, I've never not been come out victorious in a half an hour, hour period from all of this stuff when I've gone to God and I've prayed with authority. Gosh. Through periods of my life, I've shared this before, through a period of my life when I first moved to the UK, uh, I got this job. It was it's a great job. It's still the job I've got. But when I arrived, the atmosphere was really tricky. Like I had the bosses above me applying a lot of pressure and my team below me applying a lot of pressure and I was right in the middle of the thing. And every day I'd go home and I'd be feeling like, and every Friday afternoon, it was Friday afternoons that my boss would tell me how underperforming everything was. And I'm like, don't tell me on a Friday afternoon. I'm supposed to have a weekend now. Tell me on a Monday when I can... Anyway, so I'd go home feeling really depleted. And I share this with you honestly because we're an honest, authentic community and I know that you've gone through similar things. And so, and so I'd go home and I'd be feeling, God, what am I doing here? Am I in the wrong job? Like, because no one's satisfied. These guys are threatening to quit. These guys are threatening to disband the team. I can't please these guys. I can't please these guys. Where? So here's my one-page book. I realize that I have authority, that, 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 that these, these, these voices and these voices don't control this voice. So I... I, I I kept turning up. I kept turning up and I kept choosing my attitude. I kept turning up and I kept choosing the vision and the course. I kept turning up and being open and being open but saying I'm immovable about what I know to be immovable about in a professional sense. Eventually, this sorted itself through some pretty hardcore stuff and this sorted itself. My bosses now have said, a couple of, they said, we thought, Nathan, that you were, um, you were going too high, we needed you to come down, but now we realise that you were right. You were in the right place and we were in the wrong. And I've had my bosses tell me. And I've had other people, sideline people say, how did you get through that? Legitimately, I'm not exaggerating. They said, how did you get through that? Because if I was in that position, watching from afar, I totally would have quit. It's just a job. And I said, well, to be honest, I had a source that nobody knows about. I'm a minister and I'm running out of time. I'm a minister, and people, I'll pray for people, and, and, and I'm flesh and blood, you're flesh and blood. What do we have to pray for people? I don't have any special, any authority in myself to pray for people, but I know this, through time and time again, when I have the opportunity to lay a hand on someone's shoulder and pray with them, God moves in their life. I can't explain it, I don't drum it up, I don't try and mental, mentalist, any, like, I, I'm just praying for somebody, and God shows up. My secret 
One page. God has given me authority in Jesus' name. That's what I stand on. It's a knowing. It's not a feeling. It's a knowing. I've got to wrap up. It's a knowing. It, it, and my prayer to you this morning is that you and I would go to a new level of the knowing of the authority that Jesus has given to you and I. The knowing of it. My prayer is that you'd step up that way, that the authority that God has given you would not be a latent one. The authority that He's given you would not be unused because the world around you needs you to step into it. I'm, saying, I'm telling you, the world around you needs you to step into the authority that Jesus has given you. Struan, can you come up and help, help me finish? Otherwise, I'll just keep going. Remember when I said I'd come back to the, to the power of words? Do you remember that in the scripture with the centurion? It said, don't come, just say the word. There's something about this in authority, okay? Your authority becomes enabled through your words. You've got to know it. You can't fake it. You can't say, oh, you know. There's a bad story in the New Testament of guys who tried to use the right words but had the wrong heart, and uh, it didn't go well for them. I'll, I'll give you the scripture reference later. It's, um, anyway, uh, but, but you've got to know it, but then you've got to do more than know it. There's something that's enabled. Your authority is enabled when you speak it out. If I could give you one commission this morning, it would be this. If they could give you one challenge, it would be this. I can't make you know. You can't make you know. We can pray for that afterwards, right? And you can, you can ask God for a revelation of the authority that He's already given you. But this is what you can do. The active thing, the faith thing, you can be mindful of the words that you say. Because you're saying things over your life that you shouldn't be saying. You're saying things in the mirror that you ought not to be saying for somebody who was made in the image of God. And sometimes, if you're honest, you're probably praying prayers uh, in a squeak when He's called you to roar. You know what I mean? If I could commission you, it was to consider the way you speak. If you're grappling with big decisions today, I could get a show of hands, but every hand would go up. But if you're grappling with big decisions, you don't have to say, my God, I'm lost, I need some help. Though sometimes that's fine and you do. But why not try, thank you, God, you have given me the wisdom of Christ. Thank you, God, you, you guide me every day. I'm declaring your wisdom and your direction over every step that I take because you are good. And those who would come against me with, 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 with lies of deception and, and dropping of clarity, I, re, I rebuke them in Jesus' name because you are a lamp to my feet. Lamp. When you stare down anxiety or depression, some of us go through those kinds of things. Pray for healing. Cry out to God, but don't forget your authority. Don't forget to pray. Thank you, God, that you are my healer and by your stripes I am healed. Thank you, God, that you are my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you, God, that you are my peace and you give peace without, under, without needing to understand how it works. I will see the end of my depression and I will see the end of my anxieties in Jesus' name. When the devil's going at you all night and keeping you up with lies and fears and anxieties, get yourself out of bed. Don't live and roll and wallow. Get yourself out of bed. Close the doors. Don't wake up your family. Turn on some music and begin to pray. And change your words to declarative prayer. Begin to pray declarative. You know the reason why 
I labor, we labor as a church sometimes to do the prayer when we stand up and we say, just pray out loud. And I don't know. And sometimes some people, the loud people go, oh God, I'm praying really loud. And then sometimes you're like, I don't want to, I don't know what to do. This is awkward. I know you labor with that. I'm not sadistic. I'm not trying to hurt you. But I do know that there is power when you begin to pray declaratively. I wouldn't be leading the church the way God would have me lead it if I didn't push us to go into places of declarative prayer. My prayer here is that you would know the authority that God has already given to you. The prayer that we're going to pray in a moment isn't that He would give you it, for you already have it, my friend. My commission is that you would begin to pray more declaratively, speak more declaratively in areas of your life that He's already given you the answer. Because I'm telling you, the spiritual atmospheres will shift when you declare things in Jesus' name. Why can I say that? Because the Bible tells us that. So would you stand to your feet this morning? Let's do that. And for 30 seconds, in just a moment, I'm going to ask us, I'm going to ask you to begin to pray. And I want to challenge you to pray declarative. That might be new to you. You're not used to it. How, where do you get the assertiveness to do such a thing? He gave it to you. He actually loves you. He's actually given. I'm going to ask us, and I'm not expecting a roar of a big, but I'm expecting us to pray. Let's pray. Put something to your lips. And for 30 seconds, over that area of your life that hasn't moved, over that influence in your life that shakes you up, over the, the, the fear, whatever it is, something is stirring you up even now because God is on you about it. I'm going to ask us, let's put our voices, open our voices and pray declaratively. And before we do that, would you close your eyes? Let me pray for you first. Then we pray as a group and then I'll close in prayer.